All right, welcome to the Cal Chiefs uh, podcast. My name is Ray Geick. I'm the past president of Cal Chiefs and your host today. I wanted to uh, welcome Matt Miranda. He's a battalion chief from Atascadero uh, Fire Department, and he's also the president of the Southern Section for the Cal Chiefs Training Officers Association. So wanted to uh, welcome Matt aboard today, and, uh, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about his uh, background and kind of how he got into the fire service, but he also is going to talk about um, the the TOs and kind of where they're at today. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a good conversation about the symposium and some of the other things that they have going on in the TO. So, welcome, uh, welcome to the Cal Chiefs co- uh, podcast, Matt. Oh, thank you, thank you, Chief. Uh, intimidating and uh, fun at the same time. So let's do this. <laughs> Well, it shouldn't be intimidating. I hope it's not intimidating, but uh, we'll we'll get into the conversation. I'm sure you'll be uh, feel right at home. So, um, so tell me a little bit. I know you're a BC at a Tescadero, um, and you're with the with the TO section, and we'll get into some of that stuff. But kind of, I like to always ask our guest uh, a little bit about how they got into the fire service, what made them interested in getting into the fire service, and uh, kind of walk us through how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So my story is kind of. I guess it's, I'm the kid that never left. Um, I didn't think I was going to be in the fire service. I actually thought I was going to go into the military or even into the uh, nursing uh, realm. Um, but a good buddy of mine on Christmas vacation, my senior year of high school, took me on a ride along and I just saw that it was like, you got to do the cool EMS stuff and all these other things and the, the fire station life and fire engines. And it was just absolutely amazing. So made the decision right then that that was what I wanted to do. So day after I graduated high school, I went down to the fire department and applied to be a part-time firefighter. And they gave me the whole packet of paperwork. Secretary there is like, okay, fill all this stuff out and bring it back to me. And so later that afternoon, I dropped it all off. And she was a little bit surprised because apparently that usually takes weeks. And I really want to be a firefighter. So I did it in a, a few hours and got her what she wanted. Um, and then I asked, I said, Hey, can I go back into the, like the fire station and just kind of like meet some of the firefighters and see what they do and just learn from them. And she's like, sure, I guess. And, uh, so I did, so I went back and I introduced myself and they were gracious enough to let me hang around for a little bit. And back then they did, uh, seasonal firefighters. So it was fire season, right. When I graduated and they did seasonals that they did four tens. So, um, I just made friends with the firefighters and said, Hey, can I come back tomorrow? And did that again and again and again. And I just kept showing up. I wasn't an employee or anything. I just kept showing up for a couple weeks. And then, uh, after that went to summer camp. And while I was at summer camp, my youth pastor came over with a message. He said, Hey, captain so-and-so's, uh, return needs a return phone call so you need to go give him a call back as soon as possible and gave him a call back and they said hey we've uh we fired a person that was on staff and we don't have an eligibility list but you've been hanging around quite a bit and it seems like you kind of want to be a firefighter so what do you think about when you get home we put you on the engine we start figuring all this stuff out and i was obviously very stoked and uh, came back from that, worked uh, the rest of that fire season, went to school, got my EMT, uh, went to fire academy that next spring, came back for my second fire season and third fire season, continued to go to school, work part time and just kind of make ends meet. And then I was able to get picked up full time in uh, 2001 as a firefighter, uh, did about a year and a half as a firefighter, six-ish years as an engineer, 11 years as a captain, been promoted up to uh, battalion chief for about three years now. So that's kind of the quick down and dirty of how I got into the fire service and um, kind of, I guess, the progression of where I'm at right now. Did you always, was that all through a Tascadero? All through a Tascadero. Yep. I'm one okay. of the, I'm one of the homegrowns. Yep. That's very cool. How did, um, how how big is a Tascadero Fire Department now? So Tascadero is two, uh, two stations, 19 people on the floor, three chief officers, one admin. Uh, we do about 28 square miles. We're uh, smack dab in the central coast, about 
if you know where San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Morro Bay are, we're kind of in the in the middle of all those different things. Um, about 20 minutes from the coast, about 20 minutes um, from the north end of the of the county line. So it's a it's a great little spot. Yeah, Tascadero is a beautiful a beautiful area for sure. Um, how did you get involved in uh, California Fire Chiefs Association, the TO section? How did you uh, um, get involved with them? So TOs, there's just kind of been a long history of our organization. Even though we're small, we like to be plugged in. Um, and it was really just kind of passed down through the generations. I think we've had six or so representatives and TOs over uh, 30 plus years. Um, I've personally have been involved with TOs for about 10 years now. Um, all of our previous training officers, it was just kind of part of the thing that you did and, you know, just an opportunity to give back. So, uh, it, as soon as you took that training officer role, you got in there. And even though I haven't been a formal training officer for a couple of years, I've still just wanted to continue to be involved and, uh, moved into more of the leadership role and the mentorship role as we bring in new folks. Cause I, I guess I know a little bit of the history, um, but it's just also an amazing group of people. So it's, it's tough to say goodbye to them, even though, uh, even though the work is at times a little more challenging, you got to pile it on top of your day job, but uh, it's just really an awesome group that, I mean, their whole intent is just to make the fire service better. So how do you not feed off that enthusiasm and that, that love for the fire service and the, and the individuals in the fire service and making them better and making the fire service better when you leave it. So um it's it's one of those things that i i don't see i don't see saying goodbye to it anytime soon but uh if that day does come it's going to be it's going to be a challenging decision for sure so a lot of people know i mean all the sections in cal chiefs uh the way it's structured is a little bit different and walk us through how uh tos is broken down i know you have a southern and a northern section but let our audience know a little bit about how it's broken down and how you guys function as two separate TOs, uh, North and South, but how do you guys work together as well? Yeah. So it's not a mystery that California is huge and uh, we have different, different needs depending on the pocket, you know, some, some Metro areas, um, obviously just geographically, it's tough to get all the way up to the North and all the way up to the South. So, there probably about 20-ish, 25 years ago, we made the decision to go into two different sections, uh, north and south. And so you're represented by an e-board in both sections. So president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and then a whole bunch of area directors. So in the south, I think we're divided up into, oh, don't quote me on this one. I think it's nine in the south and 10 in the north different areas so uh, usually geographically like county lines type of thing but sometimes we gobble up two counties with one area um, and so you have an area director that's in charge of each one of those just helping make contact with the local agencies local uh, training officer boards uh, making sure that information is going up and down hosting classes kind of being that liaison to the that specific area and then even in the larger metropolitan areas, L.A. County, Sacramento, uh, we have that divided up into other subsections. So we have associate directors that just help get the message out and just help do the work on the front lines with uh, all the training officer duties. How do you um, I know we recently had a, a reorg discussion in Cal Chiefs and so on and so forth, and. Um, we asked really the the north and the south sections for the for the sections is great. However, it was a little bit challenging for Cal Chiefs, kind of the mothership, because um, the communications uh, were a little bit more challenging. I know you're the rep now for for both the north and the south for Cal Chiefs. How did you guys determine that? Uh, I don't I don't know how we determined that. Maybe we drew, maybe we drew straws and I wasn't there. Um, no, <laughs> did but you it's, lose it's... Wrestling match or did you win a wrestling match? <laughs> Uh, if it was, if it was, I probably lost arm wrestling match. Let's be honest. Um, no, uh, no, I, I actually, I wanted to step into that role and, uh, to have more interaction with cow chiefs, especially with all the things that we've got going and the synergy, 
uh, with that group that's been reinvigorated. So I took that as a, as an opportunity. Um, so I willingly stepped into that liaison or that, that, you know, sole contact type of role. Um, it doesn't really matter for us. We work really well with the North and sometimes we uh, forget that we're two different sections. Um, because the main thing that we do, which we'll talk about in a little bit as North and South boards, as we come together once a year for the train officer symposium and we work in a combined, uh, instant command structure to make all that happen. So we have great relationships with both. We see each other, uh, periodically throughout the year. And then we are just absolutely overwhelmed with one another, uh, once a year as we work side by side to pull off the symposium. So. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a heavy lift for me to to step into this role. I'll probably be in this role for another year or two if they'll have me. Um, but uh, it's been good so far. Uh, been in for about a year, and I'm anticipating maybe a year or two more. Um, but yeah, our working relationship with the North is is absolutely awesome. It, uh, it 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 gets a lot done for for the people that are engaged. What's um. You, you talk a little bit about um, the North and the South, and I know, I, I believe you guys have a combined mission uh, together. And how does, how does, what is your guys' mission um, as far as TOs in the state? And then how do you guys get that done? How do you guys accomplish your mission? Yeah, so uh, basically our big mission is just connecting the fire service to the educational systems and delivering training down to the local level. Um, so we work, we have representatives uh, at stake, CICCS, state fire training. Uh, we have representatives at the colleges and fire academies or liaisons with those. And then uh, obviously the majority of the fire departments and our, and our hope is that we have contact with all the fire departments in California, some way or another transferring back through TOs, which would eventually transfer back to the cow chiefs and have that unified message um, and the what we deliver and all that good stuff. Um, so that's you know that's our that's our main mission. You know we we work on projects that uh, affect the California Fire Service, both in curriculum, um, disseminating changes. You know if there are any changes in curriculum, but things are rolling in, things are rolling out. Uh, we sit on those committees and work on that language. Um, we give recommendations for new courses, new certificates, work with state fire training on how that would roll out and how that would come to be. Uh, work a lot on content of different courses, um, even ones that we create uh, a new and make a, you know, a seminar or a, you know, an eight hour training out of it and then figure out how we roll that into uh, something that's going to stay in the fire service more long term. And then obviously the big one that we provide is the yearly symposium uh, where we bring in uh, four or 500 firefighters, bring in about 100 uh, staff and instructors, and we just pull off an insane amount of training in a very short period of time in Fresno. So that's been an annual event, the symposium. How long has that been going on for, do you know? In Fresno, we just went over 25 years. So I think we're at like 27, 28, somewhere in there now. Wow. Prior to that, it was in San Jose for a while. I think it went Fresno, San Jose, and now it's back in Fresno. But I know that we've been 20 plus, 25 plus years in Fresno itself. And uh, it's been it's been tremendous. Um, I mean, nobody, nothing against Fresno, but nobody really wants to go to Fresno for a whole lot. But uh, it seems like once the symposium's there, everybody wants to go there. Yeah, I had the opportunity when I was the uh, president of Cal Chiefs to come in and uh, spend a day with you guys out there. And uh, it was, it was, it's a great symposium, great training opportunity. Um, I had an opportunity to speak for like a half a day during uh, one of your, one of your training uh, deals. And it was pretty cool. Um, we're going to get into the symposium a little bit more, but um, let's talk about your membership. What is what is your membership kind of based around, and what do they what do you get to be a, a Cal Chiefs TOs uh, member? Uh, what do they get for their money, and kind of where does the money go to, and like what's the value for somebody to be a member of TOs? 
Yeah. So you can be an individual member. You can be a department member. We always recommend apartment membership because depending on the size of the organization, you get a certain amount of representatives that would get any uh, correspondence that come out from the TOs. You would get free entrance into any of our hosted quarterly drills. Um, but really the biggest benefit that you get from being a member is you get early registration for the symposium. So that means the course catalog goes to you first before it goes out to the general populace. And some of the courses at the symposium are so sought after that if you don't have that early registration or an opportunity to get your hands on one of those seats uh, prior to it going out, there's really no chance that you're going to be able to get into them. So there's been uh, they've been so popular that they sell out. I mean, we've had we've had courses that sell out within the first day that they're posted within eight hours and they're completely full up. So that's a huge benefit to being a member of CalTOs. Um, it also, you know, I think it's, it's wise to say that none of your money goes to wages. None of your dues money goes to wages. Everything that's done for CalTOs is either supported that individual is supported by the department to do what they do or it's on a volunteer basis um, because uh, I think that's what training officers just believe. It's, it's something that's so important that it doesn't matter if they're going to get paid for it and uh, they just make it happen. So um, none of it goes to a paid position where you're, you know, you know, putting towards somebody's salary so they can do TOs work. All of it's done uh, just out of the goodness of their heart or by department sponsorship by the, those departments saying, Hey, this is so important to us that we want to, we want to foot the bill regardless of how much it costs to make it happen. So you had mentioned uh, quarterly um, drills. What type of drills are you guys doing quarterly? What's, what yeah, is, what, so, what so we'll host different ones in Northern California and Southern California for Southern California. Uh, one of our big one is uh, the wildland entrapment program that we host every year in Costa Mesa. And uh, that'll, we'll just basically talk about case studies, uh, lessons learned from major events uh, on the wildland side. It's done right, right at the beginning of fire season. So it just kind of wets your whistle to everything that you should be thinking about or want to be thinking about. And uh, we'll bring in instructors depending on where they come in from. You know, the wildland May Day was one of them. Uh, we've done several burnovers, Silverado burnover, um, just lessons learned from, you know, major events within the last couple of years, some that uh, for the first time or even ever being spoken about uh, in the public forum. So it's a, it's pretty, pretty great amount of uh, content that comes out of those. So we'll host that and get a hundred, 200 firefighters there to, to listen to that. We'll, typically host something down in the San Diego region. Uh, last year it was uh, Snowmageddon is what we called it, but it was basically the EOC activations and the command structure that was set up for uh, the huge snow event that happened up on the hills and how that hall went down and how unique that was when, you know, we're used to dealing with fires and now we've got a snow incident and people are snowed in and how do you fly resources in and how do you set up a command structure in uh, in a geographical area that you can't even really even get access to it and the amount of coordination it took with Caltrans and public entities and private entities um, to be able to render aid up in that area. So it's great, great presentation, great lessons learned. So we just try to try to find something kind of like hot topics and uh, bring them down that aren't, you know, necessarily clear cut, like this is a certified course and whatever, you know, we want to bring newer topics that just kind of expand on what firefighters need to know or should be knowing and and hopefully prompt them to want to dig into more more information and learn more about uh, whatever it is in their career that's their specialty. So do you do a like two quarterly uh, things up north and then two down south or how does that how does that? Yeah, work? we try. Yeah, we try to pull off three, try to pull off three um, symposium kind of stands as one. And then we okay. try to do three more um, and then we do board meetings that are associated with each one of those events. So while we get everybody in one room, we uh, we do a board meeting, tackle any business that we can't do through uh, normal correspondence. 
So when is your uh, symposium coming up? One of, one of the dates for that? Uh, March 18th through 22nd. Uh, so this will be the second year we've pulled it off in the spring. Uh, we uh, traditionally always had it in November, third week of November. Uh, but we moved to the spring, and it's been a good thing for us. Uh, like I said earlier, it's in Fresno. And uh, we all uh, congregate at the uh, Double Tree, and uh, that's kind of the main hub of the symposium. We rent out all the classes there, uh, but we also use pretty much every training uh, site and classroom within that county. We got uh, Cal Fire stepping up, and we got Fresno County. We use their training grounds, their classrooms. Uh, Clovis, we we throw a whole bunch of stuff towards Clovis. Uh, Fresno City Academy, uh, their tower, their stations, uh, their mechanics. Uh, we utilize literally every single thing that we could possibly get our hands on uh, because we got we have a lot of students and we have a lot of different classes that we offer. So we got to find some way of fitting them in um, and keeping the whole thing going. Um, and uh, we fired up. On Sunday afternoon, bring in the students on uh, Monday for class, and we shut it down uh, all within a couple hours, uh, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and send all the students home. So it's uh, quite the occasion. Uh, but that's that's just for the people that are traveling in Fresno City Fire. Uh, literally, we could not do this without Fresno City Fire. The amount of work, time, and energy and money that they put into making this happen uh, just for service to the fire service itself is off the charts. I mean, they work for not joking months, months prior to the symposium, getting it ready to go all their training staff. They have people that are just detailed out to just making sure that they were, they're ready for the symposium to come to town. And they've always been gracious hosts and quite literally we, there is no way that we could host this symposium, especially to the magnitude of which we host it. Uh, without their overwhelming support yeah i've been up there before like i mentioned and it's it's literally a big it's a big animal to uh <laughs> to wrangle for sure it, it's there's a lot of logistics i imagine and you guys and fresno um fire department just do an outstanding job at it, it it's very impressive and uh it it must just take an absolute ton of work to do um as far as the you know when can people sign up for that when when's the earliest they can sign up or can they sign up now or uh, when is that coming out? Yeah. So the uh, course schedule, we actually start working on that the Thursday of the symposium before we even leave, we start figuring out what courses we're going to bring back, uh, what new courses we want to work on. And our instructor coordinators start working, literally start working that week to try to figure out what we do for the next symposium. It's a year's worth of work. Uh, there's two of them that combine and put their heads together to get all the contracts, get all the curriculum, you know, course syllabus, uh, needs, requirements, costs, all that good stuff. They get it all done. They present it at our uh, annual planning meeting that we actually have on the Central Coast. And we just had it in October. And at that time, the course schedule is probably like 75% solid. And they work on the fine details. And so it's always a push to get it out for January. Uh, so we look at the first or second week of January. If we can hit that goal, we're doing well. And um, that's when the official course catalog will drop. You'll see a link that'll be open for registration on our website, caltraining.org. And you can go through there and you can register for the courses. Like I said, it's early release to members. So they would get access to that before. And you can buy membership at any time. It, it doesn't, it, you know, you don't have to like wait or whatever. You know, you could buy membership and that gives you that early registration. Um, but that, that January date is when it goes public. And then usually it goes out to... Uh, the rest of the population right around February 1st. And really, if you're not on it, uh, I mean, you may have a chance of getting a few of the courses come end of February, but if you're not on it in January and February, uh, definitely the classes that are highly sought after, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to get into it. So I, I always recommend that people 
be ready for when that drops and have all that stuff already dialed in. Cause if they start conversations with their training officers after it's been open, it's probably already going to be too late. So have those conversations now and get your name on the roster. That way you can pull the trigger once it comes open. But you recommend the best way to do that is become a member of Cal chiefs TOs. So you get that early registration opportunity and then, um, and then you guys can kind of go from there. Would that be your recommendation? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. That's your, that's your best hope of getting the classes that you actually, that you actually want. But I mean, there's tons, there's tons of classes that are sought after. I'm just yeah. specifically talking about the academies. We hold uh, a truck Academy and engineer Academy, a captain's Academy and a chief officer Academy. And so those are specific courses that are just uh, for individuals that are in that rank or attempting to go into that rank. And the content is put together by, uh, subject matter experts up and down the state. And so uh, they're not really living with the confines of a traditional class. They're just going to teach you exactly what you need to know for that. And it's going to be customized. And uh, those are typically the classes that are sought after. And uh, they fill up pretty darn fast. Um, but after that, there's eight hour courses and two hour or two day courses and three-day courses and all kinds of different things. So there's plenty to be had, but if you're specifically looking at that academy style, um, kind of that all-in-one package, those are, those will fill up insanely fast. Got it. What, is there any classes that are like uh, the state certified classes uh, that you guys are teaching or is that um, for, is that something different or do you guys even, um, uh, you know, put those in into your course package? Yeah, the best thing about the symposium is state fire trainings um, usually reserved a rollout or like a train the trainer. You know, they, hey, this is the first time we're going to do RIC uh, command and control. Well, that's going to be hosted at the symposium and then we're going to do it first. And that's just one example, obviously not coming out this year. But uh, if they've got new courses, typically they like to shoot for that date and they roll them out with us. Uh, but we host a bunch of uh, state fire training certifications certifications um just to rattle off a couple um passenger vehicle uh extrication we got rems firefighter survival we got s223 coming up we've got liaison uh a reps uh all risk uh, strike team leader and task force ics 300 400 medical unit leader s270 290 pio class all risk safety officer state fire training uh, instructor one ethical leadership um, registered instructor so rio update um, yeah those are just kind of the you know the certified classes uh, through state fire training uh, but i'm looking at a page and a half of of courses and kind of make your your head spin all the stuff that we do but uh, advanced firefighter rescue residential search via eis uh, like i said the truck academy first do ops ventilation elevator rescue trench rescue uh, structure collapse one oh yeah that's another big one that we're trying to get in uh, this year is uh, you know obviously we know that the rescue systems courses have changed a little bit so the structure collapse one trying to figure out how to pull that off there uh, engineer Academy, building construction, reading the building and knowing what to do. Um, commercial fire ground operations, wildland strategy and tactics, evidence-based firefighting. Uh, I'm skipping a bunch. Uh, calm the chaos, mastering the fire ground command, uh, assessment center prep, leadership in the fire service. I'm scanning now, just trying to find new topics and not bore you. Uh, emergency oh, you simulations, have... emergency simulations, employee counseling, FOBAR, all kinds of stuff um, that's special. You know, so it's really just it's to attack every rank, right? We want to be able to provide something for firefighters yeah. all the way up to chief officers. And we want to be able to add value to them coming to the symposium and find something that fits into their box and not just, hey, we only do the hot drills, you know, we, yeah, we'd love to only do the hot drills where we're burning stuff and cutting stuff and forcing doors. Um, but really we have something for every rank, every make and model, every person, depending on where they want to go, or where they're at right now in the fire service, 
something to challenge you, something to make you a little bit better at what you're currently doing within the rank and something to, to completely make you uncomfortable and, and want to know more. So what are, you guys have an absolute ton of, I've seen the, the course, you know, the curriculum on, on how much, you know, you're, you guys offer, which you just rattled off a bunch of those things. Um, what are some of those other things that bring value to the symposium for the attendees other than just the the classes, which is just huge, but what what's something else that would uh, maybe interest some of the attendees to uh, attend? Yeah. So we try to make sure that we have plenty of time for firefighters to be with firefighters and, uh, when you put 400 to 500 of them in one spot, there's there's bound to be a good time. So uh, networking obviously is huge. We make sure that we have events either at the hotel or offsite so that firefighters continue to gather. And when they gather, obviously they have a good time, but they also talk shop and just share stories. And there's huge value in that. Um, and we try to create environments that foster that type of thing. Uh, we also bring in a vendor show. Uh, typically, we do one evening for the vendor show and then a whole uh, another day for the chief officers, which is more like a VIP exclusive where they can have one-on-one -on -one time with the vendors while the students are in course or in classes because we don't want to ever distract from the training itself. So we don't allow students to go in uh to basically skip class and to go into the vendor show during the day. But the chief officers or somebody who's not uh, in a course can go into the vendor show and have that one-on-one -on -one contact with the vendors. Uh, but then the vendor show will also be open again when uh, Fresno city hosts their uh, dinner and uh, all those, those people are available for those conversations. So that's a huge value. Um, we do a ton of donations. Uh, so uh, we do, lunchtime raffles, evening raffles. Uh, we do cornhole tournaments um, that raise money so that we can give it back to the community. We support Alicia Ann Rouge Burn Foundation, um, the Burn Center, uh, we do scholarships, a whole bunch of different things. Um, that basically every, every bit of that raffle money or any type of 50-50 or any type of proceeds from the barbecue or the cornhole tournament just go right back into uh, the community itself and creating those those gifts and scholarships so that they continue to execute their mission They actually support the fire service. They're all fire service related. So we've given to um, some different unfortunate events, you know, line of duty deaths or um, some some of our, you know, even law enforcement uh, partners that are going through some tough times. We've been able to to give some pretty substantial donations to them. So uh, what else? Oh, we got awards that we typically do. So we do the state, uh, train officer of the year. We do the, uh, which is the Ed Bent award. Um, and for those that even remember Ed Bent, but we give a little bio of Ed and just talk about how, uh, how critical he was to the fire service and what he did. And then we award that to a train officer of the year. And then we do the Brunacini Award, which is the Fire Service Ambassador. Uh, and then we do the um, Randy Shear Award, which is the Orange County Train Officer of the Year. And then we do the Ronnie Coleman Award, which is an award to the best fire academy in the state. Um, so some recognitions also, it just, you know, it connects you, you know, if you're a student and you may not know the history or you may not know who these people, these pioneers were. Uh, it gives you some context to all your forefathers or all the things that have been done in the training realm that have just allowed you and given you the opportunity to be where you're at and to enjoy some of the benefits of this amazing fire service and fire service training side that uh, that you're involved with day to day. So um, what else we got going I don't know what else. What else at the symposium that you want to that you want to talk about? Well, what are I know? I know the symposium is is a huge deal for you guys. Um, and I know the I've been there, so the the nighttime stuff is pretty fun as well. Um, what are the dates again that you guys do? Is March eighteenth through what? March eighteenth through twenty two. And uh, so that stuff. Hopefully, the it's going to be coming out on uh, in January. 
And if if you're not signed up through Cal Chiefs TOs, that's gonna you, you might get some of the stuff in in February when it comes out. But um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on about the symposium coming up? And if not, we're gonna I want to just kind of pick your brain a little bit about some other stuff in, in training. Yeah. Um, last thing I would add is. Um, we always like advertising this because I think it's just a great testament to the fire service is everything that comes in for the symposium, nobody gets paid. Everything's volunteer. So all the instructors that you see and we fly in, drive in, you know, 60 to 70 instructors, uh, all of them are volunteering their time for the betterment of the fire service. Nobody's getting paid an hourly or whatever. Um, and, and they willingly do that. And they know that that's part of the, part of the deal. Like, Hey, we'll, we'll give you a hotel room and we'll pay for, uh, the cost of your travel. Um, but that's it. You know, everything else is on you. Um, and people, you'd be surprised on how many people are like, yeah, that's cool. I'm fine with that. You know, I'm all about being there and pouring into students and making the fire service better. And for them, that's a worthy sacrifice to take the vacation from their job or whatever they got to do. Or some of these are actually, you know, for-profit companies that say, hey, I'm, I'm fine. You know, my rate is usually X number of thousand dollars a week or a day. Uh, I'm fine with forfeiting that because that's how much this means to me for me to be involved. So um, I think it's... It's a known fact, but probably even worth reiterating time and time again, the uh, the sacrifice and the willingness that, you know, that people have to come and to make the fire service better. I think it's pretty, pretty stinking awesome. No, that's great that, you know, that there's so many people willing to uh, really donate their time. And it's also a testament to the TOs that this, this, the symposium is such a big deal that they want to be there too. If they don't want to be there, um, they just wouldn't be there, right? But there's so many people that want to give their time back to the fire service, and that's just a testament to um, how great of a job the TOs are doing and how people want to be there. It's a big deal to be able to say you, 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 you're teaching at the, the TO symposium. So that's pretty cool. Um, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about as well, just for a little uh, few minutes, is that there's a lot of challenges going on in, in training uh, up and down the state. Uh, what are some of the concerns or challenges that the TOs are seeing that um, is kind of on your radar? And what are you and your uh, and your section looking to do about them? Yeah, um, so some of these, uh, I mean, you know, because I, I forward you the topic, so you know what we're going to talk about. Some of these are kind of, you know, more off the books, uh, more of like cultural things that uh, we see um, and, you know, just just concerns, I guess, of, of where the fire service is going and where the fire service training in particular is going. And um, none of them are quick fixes. Um, none of them are easy solutions. But one of them that I'll bring up right now is, is, is a tendency for individuals in the fire service to always be looking for that next certification versus knowledge there used to be there used to be a mindset that didn't matter if i ever got a certificate out of this thing or if it you know checked whatever box it was on my resume but man if i got an opportunity to know something more about the business that i'm in i would jump at that opportunity and so we see people maybe having a tendency to go towards certification tracks or maybe that's a jack requirement or maybe that gets me that that qual so I can get that promotion rather than just the mindset of, Hey, I just want to know this because I want to be really good at my job, or I want to know this because maybe it's a low frequency type of event, but I want to be able to handle that event with some level of proficiency and excellence because I'm really, really good at my trade and I'm not just certified. I'm actually knowledgeable. So um, that's just one of those, those trends that, you know, you see kind of coming out and, you know, how do you invigorate that thirst for knowledge? How do you invigorate that, that desire just to go out there? And even if there is a personal sacrifice to going to the course, if the trained officer or the boss or the chief or whatever just says, Hey, I got this training. You want to go, 
you know, say yes. Say like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care where it is or what it is. I just want to go and I want to learn regardless of if it's going to give me some magic certification that's going to benefit me in the future. Now I'm not saying like we throw out certification tracks and all that good stuff. I'm just saying more of like just being hungry to be better at your job and to continue to seek out those training opportunities no matter how they're sliced. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's always a struggle, especially now. I think what we're seeing in the fire service is, you know, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on the end of a 30 year career. And I remember, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, it was, I want to go to this class because I want to learn something. I'm not going to get a certification for it. I may probably lose some overtime over it. <laughs> it's going to cost me money out of my own pocket and I'm not going to mm -hmm. get paid. And we went and because mm -hmm. we wanted to learn about our, our job. And um, nowadays, I, I'm not seeing that as much. I'm really seeing more of, hey, I need to be paid. Uh, you need to cover my time. You need to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, I'm not going to go. And, mm -hmm. and it's interesting if, if you look at it from a, a couple different perspectives. One of them is what's driving that, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, there's a, a few things that are driving that. Number one, um, there's so many things going on that are out there right now. There's so many resources and, and sources of information uh, that there's a competition for that information, but there's also a competition for people's time and um, and space within their families and, and so on and so forth. So it, it, to your point, it's going to be really challenging over the next couple of years to kind of um, reinvigorate that if, if it's even possible at, at some mm -hmm. levels. You know, I don't know if that's too far gone, but I totally agree with you that you know, there, there needs to be a balance there of people wanting to get certifications, wanting to get their quals, wanting to get all these other things. But there also has to be a balance of, I want to be thirsty for some new information that may not have a certification behind it, because mm -hmm. I want to be really good at my job. Because at the end of the day, this is a dangerous job. And yep. not all those certification programs are going to teach you everything you need to know. And, um, you know, there's, I've seen it throughout the last 30 years of my career that, when bad things happen, they happen very, very fast. And a lot of times we don't anticipate it. And it's those little extra training classes that, you know, just gives you a little bit more to think about and um, to put in your toolbox. And as firefighters, I always think it's good to add as many tools as you can uh, to that toolbox. And you're not going to get everything from the state certified programs. You're just not. And so I would very much encourage um, all of our young firefighters out there to seek out opportunities, even if it doesn't have a certification or something um, that's going to be that I can say, hey, this is why I'm doing it. Well, you're doing it because I want to be a good firefighter, exactly to your point, Matt. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of those other things that are concerning to uh, to all of you and TOs? So uh, next thing I'll bring up is uh, just the development of instructors. Um, it's It's challenging to find instructors for sure um it, it's an intimidating role to step into um because you think you got to be the perfect expert in all these different things and i mean when i started teaching i, I taught uh, 12 years for college i taught six years for emt i was the assistant emt instructor and uh the thing that always freaked me out the most it wasn't the content. It's like, okay, I could study the content. I could know what I'm supposed to be talking about for that time period. It was always the questions. It was like, well, what if one of the students asked me a question that I don't know because I'm not good enough or whatever the topic is, and they put me on my heels in the middle of a presentation. And so I, I can understand how intimidating it is to be an instructor, uh, to step into that role and uh, to be point on a class and to accept that responsibility. But uh, we need more instructors. And I think that that starts in the fire station uh, with just a simple concept of like, learn something, teach something, you know, and just rinse and repeat, just continue. Hey, if I have acquired some form of knowledge, be willing and uh, step up and teach that to somebody else. And more than likely you're going to mess it up a couple of times and you're going to fumble all over everything. But that uh, experience is so valuable and hopefully eventually that will lead you to wanting to step up in front of a classroom and to be able to teach that in a more formal fashion 
Um, but uh, just fostering that instructor base, uh, getting more certified instructors, continue to move through those tracks so that, you know, this whole training environment doesn't just come to a screeching halt someday or people that are just like, yeah, you know, I feel really comfortable with that topic, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure I have anything to teach somebody else. Well, you always got something to teach somebody else. You always have some way of making somebody else better for what you've been through, for what you're going through, um, just for the little tips and tricks that you've learned through your 5, 10, 15, 20-year career. I don't care if you've been on the job for a couple of years. You got something to teach the new guy, or maybe you got something to teach to the more senior or the veteran just because you look at the world a different way and you got a different perspective or you went to a different class, you know, not be willing to or be willing to share that information and put yourself out there. So, um, like I said, I think it starts in the fire station and it's just a simple concept of learn something, teach something. Um, but we need more people to continue to step up. There are some great people in the fire service that need to be uh, up in the spotlight. They need to be uh, doing the traveling roadshow, teaching as much as they possibly can because they have an amazing gift. They may be an amazing communicator, maybe they're amazing intellect, or maybe both, but they've got some content that they can they can share with the fire service to make it better. Yeah, for sure. I think that when you look at somebody that you're talking about that has those gifts that if they're up on a big stage in front of a couple hundred or even a thousand people and they get up there and you see a dynamic speak speaker, well, guess what? That didn't happen overnight. And nope. it, started, it started exactly with what you're talking about, right? Like starting at the kitchen table and doing a class between three or four people. And then, and then to your point, maybe talk, you know, doing a battalion chief or doing a battalion uh, drill and then doing a department drill and those types of things. And you learn, you learn very, um, very quickly that, you know, how to get comfortable in those situations because you have to be. And the, 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 the most intimidating factor so many times is, you know, you're up there talking in front of your friends and uh, they're going to be absolutely critical of you. And mm. uh, once you get past teaching that thing <laughs> in front of your, your company drills and those things, and they're going to beat you up and all of that, um, you're going to learn a ton and you're going to learn how to instruct and you're going to learn what to do and what not to do and, and so on and so forth. And to your point, that's, that's, that's where it starts. And that's how every single one of the great instructors that get up and, and you you probably see at your symposium or other places, uh, that's how it all starts. But you said something interesting in that, um, you know, when you look at how do you start doing some of those things and, and getting up there and, and, and teaching and to, to maybe some people in your um, agency that are a little bit more senior to you, well, it's such an opportunity to go back to what you said earlier about going to these classes that are not certification type of classes. They're literally knowledge-based classes. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes they're, you know, some of our veteran firefighters aren't going to those things anymore because they may think, yeah, I, I got this and I don't have to worry about it and so on and so forth, but they're missing out on really cutting edge stuff that is out there. And that's where some of the younger members are, uh, looking at, hey, I want to go learn that and go go take advantage of those classes. And but the challenge is, <laughs> I would imagine, may, maybe like in your department, is the young the young firefighters go out and learn that stuff, and maybe some of the veterans um, haven't quite you know taken that class or whatever. But now you you're bringing that information back to your organization, and it's great information. There's so many great classes out there, and then all of a sudden, you're trained to. Um, you know, input that into your department training and how do, how would you recommend for young firefighters to go do that, but also bring it back to your department and fit it into your agency's training programs? And what, what, what would you recommend a young firefighter to do that has all this great knowledge and they want to, they want to get it out to the department? Uh, what have you found to be successful in that area? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good one, right? You can't uh, teach an uh, old dog new tricks, something like that. Yeah. Um, but that's so, so important that you bring that back in a humble manner, not like, Hey, I went to this course. Oh my gosh, I know this new technique. We should all do it. And you just like throw it in people's faces, but work through the process with your training departments, work through the process with your engine companies, your supervisors, 
and bring it. It's like, hey, I think this is cool. Help me understand it more. Because maybe that doesn't work for your organization. Maybe you went and took a ventilation class and you work for a two-station department like mine. And yeah, that's great if you put three truck companies on the roof within the first 10 minutes and you can use that technique, but that doesn't fit for us. So like take that approach of help me learn more about this amazing thing that I learned and how it fits into how we do things and not just throw that change in there. Because I think when you throw that change in there, it's like throwing a wrench in a gearbox, man. It messes up a whole lot of different things. You know, that's not the way we used to do things. That's not the way we do things. Let me teach you something. You know, and then egos start to flare and all these different things or confusion starts to come about. And it's just not a good process. So I think come back in a humble manner, say, hey, yeah, I think this is cool. I think this is the cat's meow. I think this is the new latest and greatest. But how do I appropriately fold this into the organization um, so that other people can know and maybe see that this is something that's really cool and have just as much enthusiasm as I have about it. Um, so I've seen that happen many times, you know, it comes back and they're all charged up about it or, or now we're doing it different on a shift than we're doing it on B shift or different at this station than we're doing at the other station is it takes a long time to change technique and culture. So uh, invest in that process. Don't just think it's going to happen overnight. Don't get frustrated with the process, um, but work through it with your supervisors, with your powers at be, and uh, try to get that so that everybody can get the first opportunity to absorb it on their own and not just kind of thrust it into the organization uh, immediately upon returning from that class, because we should be folding these things in. It should be great but we don't need these roadblocks because we're executing uh, the basically the return home steps poorly uh, and everybody's throwing up their blockers and their barriers and, you know, it's okay that you learned it, but I don't need to learn that. Um, so uh, that would be my recommendation is, is bring it back and really apply it to your department and look for, Hey, what more do I need to know? Uh, about this operation or about this technique or about this change so that uh, we can do it better for our home agency. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Matt. Um, it's always interesting to watch people go off, you know, maybe they go off to your symposium and then next thing you know, they come back and they want to, uh, you know, change the world. <laughs> overnight you know what i mean and it's always it's always fun for me to watch uh it, at the end of my career when that happens and and you want to have that balance right of somebody that's getting fired up man and that's exactly what we want them to do but when you bring yeah. it back to your own organization how is this going to fit into my organization is is exactly right you know um i've been to a lot of you know i used, I used to be a truck captain and i used to go to these ventilation classes and some of the lafd guys were teaching them and next thing you know you know, I'm trying to bring some LAFD. It's like, look, we're not set up that way. You know what I mean? And uh, so, but we, you have to emulsify and adjust those training classes that you get and bring them back. And there's always, there's always something you can learn and something you can bring back to your department. But exactly to your point, how's it going to work within our organization, our operational uh, foundations, our training mm -hmm. and so forth. But, um, you know, we, we don't want to discourage people to not bring that stuff back. That's what you're there for. And yeah, you're totally. To, you're also learning. You're also um, there's twofold. A, you're learning new information, and then when you come back to your department, you also have to learn how to um, get that into your department or the parts that make sense to get into your department. Yeah. That's yeah. a challenge, you know. Um, yeah, and I I think with uh, determining those parts that make sense, I think you just have to be uh, super discerning on on which ones you want to bring. Cause you, you would go to a course and you could say, I'm the, I learned 50 new things. It doesn't mean you're going to bring 50 new things back to your organization. It may yeah. mean that you pick and choose, right? You do some discernment and be super calculated and thoughtful of, Hey, these five things could be really impactful to the safety and the betterment of our operation and make us be more efficient maybe I just focus on these five things instead of overwhelming the department with 50, I just concentrate on these five. And if I can make incremental changes over a long period of time, 
right? The fire service is a, it's a big boat. It doesn't pivot. I mean, some of our uh, organizations, even if they're uh, prone to change or they love change, even then it still takes some time to turn the ship. And so play the long game, play the long game of, Hey, if I can change two or three things and into a positive manner, not for just the sake of change, but to a positive manner for our organization, then maybe next time I can change two or more things and continue to have that long-term effect. Yeah. I, I tell people this all the time and I use this in my own organization all the time and people try to probably get sick of me saying it, but what I say is always look at what we're doing and challenge it and challenge it objectively and genuinely and actually challenge the way we're doing something because one of two great things will come out of that. Either we will learn that what we're doing is actually the right way to do it. If you actually challenge yourself, uh, you know, from a very, you know, open-minded perspective. And the other thing is if you're not doing it, uh, you find out that you're not doing it correctly through, you know, you're challenging that process and you need to make some adjustments, then that's a good thing as well. And I think sometimes we're afraid to actually challenge ourselves in a, uh, in a real manner and um, understanding that. And I think if we go through that process with a lot of things, especially in training of why we're doing something. And if the first thing that you do is challenge yourself of why are we doing this? And you don't even understand why you're doing it that way. It's just the way we've been doing it for the last 30 years. Um, hmm. Maybe that's a great opportunity to look and say, Hey, you know what? We should probably take a fresh look at this, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's an important thing for organizations to do kind of everything, not just training, but um, that's what we try to do in, in my organization uh, when we can. And I think there's always good outcomes when you challenge yourself honestly, uh, rather than just getting comfortable with, oh, this is just the way we do it. And we don't really know why we did it, but it's been this way for 30 years. So, um, yeah. And I think, I think that's a great thing for uh, new folks that come into the fire service or new folks that come in the organization um you know they they ask the questions of why well why why do we do it this way why do we do it this way and oftentimes i you know my personal opinion we don't we don't have the best answers for them we don't have the oh well this is why because it makes sense for a b and c you know we just look at it like what you just said is well that's how we've always done it well why are you asking me the question of why we do that and it's like but are we okay with having that question be asked so that it could potentially move us to a position that we re-examine whatever that practice is, that policy is, what so on and so forth. We re-examine that and we, with a conscious decision to make it better, you know, are we willing to do that? And I think that that's, that's super important that we don't just discard those, those whys all the time, even though they can be a tad frustrating. And we go, oh, well, maybe that's worth a look, you know, for making it better than what it is right now. Yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, I know we're coming up on our, our time here. Is there anything that you wanted to to touch on or refocus on or um, kind of end with um, as we wrap up today's podcast? Um, nothing too crazy. I think just, uh, you know, your training officers, they're out there. They're all over the place. If you don't know who your training officers are at the local level, I'd encourage you to reach out to them, uh, and, uh, make that contact. Um, if you're a training officer and maybe you're just like, Hey, I, I need to know more. I need to get more plugged in. There are training groups all over the state. Uh, At a minimum, reach out to your area director. If you know what county you're in, just go up on the website, caltraining.org, figure out what area you're in, reach out to that area director. All of our contact information is on there and just say, how do do I get plugged in? Can I help with a course? Can I help with a meeting? Can I just figure out what's going on? Update me. Uh, The training officer group is made up of a bunch of amazing individuals that truly love and care for the fire service. And uh, any time that you get to connect with those individuals is going to be time well spent. So um, reach out to them, get connected, and uh, just continue to uh, pour into this fire service. We've got a great, uh, a great thing, uh, something that's worth caring for, that's worth making better for the generations to come. And uh, just seek out those opportunities and keep making it happen and keep figuring out how to do your job better day in, day out. So 
Uh, that's pretty much it. Thank you for thank you for having me. It's been a surprisingly entertaining time. Hopefully, uh, anybody who listens uh, can be entertained. Maybe we didn't say uh, the stuff you thought you were going to say. I don't know. Maybe we maybe we got off track a little bit. But either way, uh, we hope it was uh, a value to you guys. And uh, thank you for the opportunity, Chief, of uh, being able to sit down with you for a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's been a good time. No, it's my it's my pleasure. And thanks, Matt, for coming on and joining us today i think we had a great conversation um i learned a lot and um again to your point if if you want to get involved with uh cal chiefs tos um get a hold of them and you know just get involved and that's that's where you start you know a lot of times just getting involved starting there and going to some of the classes and seeing what you guys are doing and then if you're interested keep keep plugging away and um next thing you know they'll uh they'll be able to help you guys out on your board and 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 kind of go from there so i really appreciate your time today matt and uh take care of yourself bud thank you thank you you have a good one too